Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boshu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, I'm speaking with Margaret Galvin about visibility. Margaret, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah, my name is Margaret Galvin. I'm an assistant professor in the English department at the University of Florida. And I mainly teach a bunch of like visual literatures, comic books, doing some things on zines now. So I'm always thinking about visibility or images when it comes to texts. And your first book, which is just about to be released, or maybe it will be released by the time this actually airs, is called Invisible Archives, Queer and Feminist Visual Culture in the 1980s, and it's coming out from the University of Minnesota Press. So that makes you the perfect person to answer our questions about visibility. So what the heck is visibility? Okay, so obviously this is not uh, as confusing a term as for for some folks like this, people have a sense of what visibility is. But when I'm talking about visibility, I'm thinking about LGBTQ people, often women, and thinking about how they're making their lives visible and their bodies visible. So I'm talking a lot about the 1980s. And in the 80s, you weren't going to see necessarily, you know, lots of depictions of LGBTQ lives in the mainstream media, right? or ones that really got at the particularity of different communities and and ways that people live their lives. Like if you were going to want to know (laughs) like what were like funny jokes that lesbians were making about other lesbians, like in a kind hearted way, you'd have to go into like grassroots or community spaces. And so I'm interested in visual art and that's comics, that's drawings, that's photography, where women are making their lives visible and they're doing it because it's important. There's this quote I think a lot about from Audrey Rich, 1980. This is a very famous essay, but she talks about like lesbian existence has been written out of history. And so at this point, like in the 80s, these women are doing their part to draw it back in, you know, not just make, hey, here's what we're doing visible, but like, here's our history, right? That we're documenting because it might not be, no one else is going to do it. So we have to do it. Yeah, totally. That quote you just gave us was about how lesbian life has been written out of history, right? But you're interested on people drawing it back in. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So like with comics, even if they're autobiographical, it's not going to be an exact representation of a person. But I think there is something that's very powerful about that. So there is a way in which people can represent themselves. Sometimes also there's a space of they can be visible without outing people or without outing their community. So also a safety to not being you know, directly visible, like that's that person on the street. But then you also have someone like Nan Golden, who is very specifically photographing members of her community. 
who are artists. And not only is she just like photographing them on the street, but she's photographing them in very intimate situations. So in bedrooms, sometimes they're having sex with each other. <laughs> sometimes they're doing illicit substances. They're, they're very, very, very visible in what would be considered these very taboo situations. She wanted to sort of show their humanity, right? And not really... A lot of people read it as, oh, making visible this marginal community. But for her is really like, no, we are the world. And so I want to make this all very visible. And she was photographing. She was doing it in color, which was not really what high art photographers were doing. Hmm. Like not all the art, the photos were like perfect. A lot of them were like the snapshot aesthetic. And those two sort of qualities of her photos are now sort of like just taken over like Instagram generation. And so forward thinking in her formal choices. And then each of the photos, she would assemble them into these massive slideshows. So it's about the photos all together in community and in sequence. And so in some ways then they're similar to the comics where we have drawings of bodies in sequence and panels. And so I'm interested not just in individuals, but in individuals and community and the way that art sort of makes that possible. Cool. How do I use visibility? That's, that's a good one. One of the things I was looking at is how these women were making their lives visible. And then I was also looking at like what happened afterwards and how these things sort of ended up in archives and some of the stuff got forgotten or, or how were things circulating. So one of the goals then was to then reconnect right, these earlier moments of activism to what's happening now in a moment where we're, I mean, it's always cyclical, unfortunately, for LGBTQ folks, where we're at another moment where people are being threatened, they want to pass potentially bills that would make it hard for people to even speak about queer sexuality on the internet and things like that for the safety of the children, right? It's always the children. And so it's like, well, what tactics were these artists using? And then what tactics can we use? The capacity, right, for visual artwork to make things visible, but also, you know, there were grassroots distribution methods, right? So it wasn't about you need to have like venture capital and some great <laughs> tech idea. Like you just need to like have friends and build community, right? Yeah. And sort of get these ideas out here. And there's space now. People do that on the internet in these different ways. Some people call this like art artivism, like activism with art. Mm -hmm. or like in the space of my classrooms, we use visibility by not only studying this stuff, I encourage students to learn how to make it cool. as well. And so like, how do we understand what the artists were doing by trying to replicate some of their processes in ways that are, I'm not an art teacher, right? So in ways yeah. that are more accessible, like yeah. you don't necessarily have to draw, but you can sort of use these sort of tactics. There are many ways to like engage in sort of like visibility politics, mm -hmm. but we also have to be aware that sometimes visibility can also have its drawbacks or be dangerous, right? There's a lot of discussion now in like trans discourse about sort of the trap of visibility, right? Um, when too much visibility can lead to folks like advocating against, right? And so this is something that I don't have necessarily the answer for. But there is the power in, you know, making yourself visible. You know, sometimes this is seen as a very, goes back to the 50s, the homophile movement. They were very interested in respectability and saying, we're just like you, we're just gay, right? Um, but there's been sort of many different ways in which LGBTQ people have advocated for visibility 
across the 20th century, longer than that. And so one of the things is for me to bring more visibility to the visibility that the artists I'm writing about were sort of enacting. Yeah. One of the people I'm writing about or thinking a lot about, well, both those things, writing and thinking, is Gloria Anseldua. Well, first of all, she's always, like across her career, she's giving so many talks every year. And in every talk she gives, she is always using images to illustrate her concepts. And so she has this like whole collection of transparencies that she uses. And it's not just like, hey, here's this concept, move on. But like when she's talking, especially about mystica consciousness, and this is the thing I was really interested in, she was like, use series of images. And so these images are saved in her archives, which is how I can write about them. And then I also, there are videos of her where you see her, like, you know, she'd have the image on the projector and then she'd be like tracing it out also with her, but there's something that she'd already drawn. Um, And then towards the end of her life, because she died in 2004, there was like a late talk where someone had like scanned these. And so they were now PowerPoint slides. Cool. And before she had these, she was also, she would like do active talks where she like drawing on a chalkboard her ideas. And so one of the things is like her text reached a lot of people, mm-hmm. but then these drawings brought people into community. It also encouraged people to think about their own practices, encourage people to be active in a way and to welcome people in, right? Because these drawings were very like stick figure. They're very approachable, mm-hmm. very accessible for people to grapple with and think about, right? Even perhaps more so than her text. And so I see like the images and visibility as like a welcoming practice. It's something you build like small scale, like you were saying, like one by one. Yeah. Yeah. And it really puts the like, the sort of like classic lecture technique of drawing on the chalkboard in perspective, right? <laughs> like, it's a, yeah. So like, I think we don't, we don't actually do a lot of theorizing about those kind of practices. So. Right? There's this great quote I talk about in a chapter where there's this uh, lesbian photographer and she's like, I went to this talk by Gloria Anzaldúa and she was drawing and she's like, she's like, this is fantastic because this is like the reverse of what I do because as a photographer, when she published her work, this is Kathy Cade who did like a lesbian photo album. And so to make her images, her photos, like, legible to people what she was doing she always had to put text with them and so she saw Gloria Ansel do as doing the reverse to make her text accessible she had to put images with them right and so I'm often thinking not only about images for visibility but the interplay between text and image I see it also as akin to these women are controlling both registers like no one can talk over and for you if you're controlling both the images and the text and that's like classically what the comic book form does, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a secret here is I'm a comic scholar. (laughs) At at my core, everything I do is sort of very much informed by the fact that I'm someone who is interested in comic books, which are, you know, not, not always taken very seriously. But one of the things it allows us to do as scholars is to think about interplay in text and images. So when I was working on other art forms, I was always thinking about, you know, what from like my understanding of comics allows me to understand these art forms because comics is always feeling like the redheaded stepchild and wants to be like using the theories of film or using the theories of literature to understand what's happening in comics. But what if we start thinking about things like sequence, right? Sequence is super a powerful, very foundational thing in comics. And what if we start thinking about like sequence and photographs, right? So you, you found me out. 
<laughs> oh, good. I that's um the like um the politics of representation in high theory is actually a practice of revelation of paranoid reading. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Okay, so how will visibility save the world? Yeah, so I like looking at my Facebook memories, which is a really weird thing. So you like see what you posted like years and years ago. And I was looking and I had posted this little quote from um, a queer manifesto in the early 90s. And I was talking about like feeling like the only queer person in the world because, you know, growing up, this person hadn't like read anything queer and hadn't like known other queer people then finding out about like queer community was like super important we also talk a lot about Alison Bechdel in this book but she talks about like figuring out what a lesbian is in the library like checking out books right and so one of the things that visibility does when we have the space for queer visibility is that people don't have to feel so alone. Yeah. You don't have to spend years and years and years thinking you're a weird oddball or you feel very isolated and disconnected. Having more spaces and people have talked about like the power of the internet, right? Uh, especially for queer youth and bringing people together, making people feel less alone. I think, you know, visibility is super important for like the future, right? Like for, for people who are queer, but also for people who aren't queer, who want to understand like the beauty and the breadth of people's experiences and lives. And so, you know, I guess I sort of come down on, on the side of team visibility and thinking about like which visibility is the right visibility. There's different sorts of art practices, right? Um, and there's reasons why sometimes someone can't be visible, right? But I think especially in a moment now where so much is under threat, I think visibility is not going to save the world, but it will hopefully <laughs> start to turn the tide if we can sort of be open. Well, I think that sounds like a pretty good way to save the world. <laughs> yeah, right. One by one, join up. One, join up, make yourself visible. Yeah, it's like, you know, the Lesbian Avengers was always like their their spiel was like, recruit, recruit, recruit. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret, thank you so much for coming and speaking with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast fix. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, Sharonic Bosu and Kim Adams edit our audio, and Sharonic Bosu manages our social media. You can find High Theory on the New Books Network and also on hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day. <laughs>